Hi, this is Graham Brown and welcome to the Excel Podcast. The Excel Podcast is a platform for the bigger conversations about leadership in the 2020s. Who's leading? How are they leading? And what stories do they have to share? Through the stories of leaders, we'll address the big challenges of our times from the era of AI to the Asian century to nurturing a new generation of entrepreneurs. If you're enjoying these conversations, subscribe to the podcast at xlpodcast.org. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the XL Podcast. My name is Graham Brown, kicking off a new series for 2022. I'm joined by Heather Hansen, TEDx speaker, communication leader. She's going to help us understand how to develop unmuted leaders and organizations. What's that about? What does to unmute mean? Well, we're so used to hearing, are you on mute these days in our conversations? What does it mean to unmute? What does it mean to give these organizations and people a voice. Call to this is the psychology of language and communication, how the language we use changes the way we think and how others view us. In this conversation with Heather, we're going to learn about how to better use language and how to communicate better, not as a skills deficit within these organizations, but understanding it from really the point of view of connection. And today is really all about connection, not perfection. You don't have to speak perfectly. You just have to connect to people from an authentic and empathic position. We're going to learn about accent bias. How does accents impact hiring decisions, leadership progression, and bias, both in humans and artificial intelligence? What does this mean for L&D leaders within organizations? What does it mean for the C-suite? What does it mean for HR? What does it mean for communications professionals? This is a conversation that's going to talk about what matters now within organizations. AI, diversity, how do these come together? How do we encourage cultures of open listening? And how do we also listen with empathy and press mute once in a while to find out all of this and answers to your questions to all of the above let's listen to heather hansen so welcoming to the show heather hansen tedx speaker trainer author global communication consultant now focusing on developing unmuted leaders and organizations heather welcome to the show thanks so much graham great to be here well it's great to talk to you i'm very much looking forward to diving into the journey. So many angles that we can take in your backstory, but also where you're heading at the moment. To give people a little bit of a context, you help people communicate effectively at the end of the day. I'm interested to know about you as a communicator. How many languages do you speak, Heather? Well, I do have a bachelor's in German, but it's quite rusty now. I haven't used it for many years, but I'm also fluent in Danish. I lived in Denmark for eight years and I've spent about 12 here in Singapore. So I haven't picked up any Mandarin, I have to say, uh, but we do speak a lot of Danish at home. Yeah. I was listening to that story on your TEDx talk, Heather, yeah. which I recommend the listeners to go and check out the video of it. It's online. You're sitting at this dinner table with Danish friend, your husband's Danish, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're speaking Danish, telling a joke as you do over dinner. And then everybody laughs and then the whole dinner table turns to you and then you see everybody stop because somebody has to explain that even though you are fluent in Danish, the nuance of the joke to you, yeah. what's going on for those that haven't been in that situation, explain it to them why they need to do that, even though you're native, so to speak, in your fluency. Yeah. Well, I mean, when that happened, it was earlier in the language journey. So that's one of the hardest things when you're at a dinner party and those social situations, even with my clients, they're pretty good in the business settings. But when you sit at a dinner party and there's so much noise and people have been drinking and there's three conversations going at once, and then someone says something that's so hilarious and it's gone completely over your head. You didn't hear it properly. You didn't understand it. There was a cultural reference. There was 
something there that you didn't catch. And people realize that, oh, oh, you know, the foreigner doesn't, doesn't get it. Let's all stop and, and translate. And, and they all, you know, wait and stare at you and translate this joke back to English or whatever your native language is. If you're lucky enough that they can speak your native language, right? Mm. And then they all wait for you to laugh. And of course, the moment has passed, right? <laughs> you know, mm. it's not quite as funny anymore. So you kind of, uh, no, that's nice. Politely okay. laugh. Yeah, politely laugh. And, uh, and then everything continues. Right. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that those moments are when you really feel like you don't belong. Right. Mm. It was moments like that, that really made me want to learn the language more, made me want to, because I wanted to be a part of that dinner party. I wanted to engage. I didn't want everything to stop and focus to be put on me. Uh, and I think that's how a lot of people feel in social settings like that when language is an issue, or even in the office, mm. people who are having to deal in English every single day and maybe aren't as confident to speak up. So it is a big yeah. challenge. There's a lot of data on it. We'll talk about how that impacts work as well. Not just mm -hmm. work, but teams. Mm -hmm. companies, culture, that idea of belonging, which you talk about, yeah. that obviously communication is mm -hmm. a tool to help us belong, but also how we communicate mm -hmm. creates connection and in some ways creates barriers between us. Yes. And very subconsciously, now, normally that's not much of a problem, but as we accelerate into the world of remote work and AI, where bias plays a role in how people perceive voice and so on is now becoming a real challenge. So you've got experience in this. You're going to help people unpack that and understand it better. You know, what do we as leaders need to do in the workplace? How do we create teams? How does communication impact that right down to accents? For example, should we be ashamed mm -hmm. of our accents? Now talking about that, I noticed um, something I noticed in the last few months, Casper um, Schmeichel who's the son of Peter Schmeichel, the, the famous football goalkeeper from Manchester United. Um, he grew up in Manchester. He's Danish, obviously. Yeah. His dad was legendary Danish, but mm -hmm. he speaks with a almost native accent. And the Danes speak so well. And I've, there's a history of Danish footballers in the English Premier League. Jan Mulby was one from the 70s and 80s. They speak with local accents. If you close your eyes and listen to them, you don't they, realize. They sound like mm -hmm. you and I. Mm -hmm. And so some people may say- More well, like you than I. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they were educated in America. Right, right. But some people say, oh, well, you know, it's easy if you speak this similar language. How do I communicate with people in, you know, a, a very different language, maybe like Mandarin or mm -hmm. Japanese, for example. So there's a lot of excuses when it comes to communication as well. Right. I'm mm -hmm. too old. Mm -hmm. The language, the grammar is very different. Exactly. for me to learn. Mm -hmm. Let's bring all this into the context of how language and accents make people think about us. And can I share some data with you? I know you've got a lot of data in your book as well. I've been digging around, looking at some studies on accents and would like the expert opinion on this. You know, how we speak changes how people think about us. Um, a couple of studies here, Heather, which I'm sure you're familiar, I've come across in your journeys. In the UK, they found that 78% of people discriminated in hiring because of their accent. Mm. And there was a study in the US uh, by Zhe Wang that said that American participants trusted British accents more than Indian. And also they said that they trusted Mexican and Greek the least. Mm. I thought Greek was rather random. They found them to be, and this is actually in the, the study, less intelligent, perceived to be less intelligent and professional than those who spoke standard US English. Mm. Why is that? Where do these perceptions come from? They are so deep rooted. I mean, it's shocking when you look at the numbers like that. And there are many, many studies that are similar. We know that this is happening in hiring. We know it's even happening in jury decisions and judges' decisions when they're deciding on parole grants, for example, mm. that um, if the judge is tired and is focusing too hard on understanding an accent, it can actually affect the decision on whether someone gets parole. This is so ingrained in us and we're enculturated from birth that we tend to prefer people who sound like us. And more than that, we then have our, our culture, our larger culture that impacts us through media. Think about every single bad guy 
in mm. movies. What are British. they? They're British, German. they're Russian, they're German, they're Arab, right? Every single bad guy go through all of our old action thrillers, Indiana Jones to whatever. Oh, yeah, there you go. All of the accents are foreign, right? Mm. The bad guys aren't like us. They're different. They're foreign. And we grow up with these ideas given to us. You know, we, we wouldn't think about it otherwise. Um, and it's important to note that it's not just a native versus non-native accent. We're doing it to each other within our own countries. So mm. in America, we might think of a Southern accent and that drawl uh, from Texas, Alabama, all those places. I have a good friend who's from Alabama. She moved to New York, was in finance, very male-dominated um, workplace that she was in. And they would actually call her Pollyanna in the middle of mm. meetings because you know, she was seen as the cute Southern belle, not so smart, uh, very sweet and hospitable, but no one to actually take seriously. So these kinds of impressions that we have that we grow up with, and we don't even really realize we have them. Mm. I think of even the most common, The Simpsons, South Park, a lot of those older cartoons and things that were more for adults than children, but they have characters in them that are caricatures and stereotypes and an accent is usually linked to them in some way. Mm. And we play with that a lot in, in the media in movies in humor and really in real life. It's not so funny if you mm. come from one of those groups and it holds you back in your career because the hiring manager doesn't realize they've switched off because, Oh, you just don't sound very educated. This is very, very common in the UK as well. Mm -hmm. Incredibly common. You have very different dialects, varieties all across the country. And, and it has a massive impact on people's mm. lives and careers. You see it very much reinforced in advertising, don't you? Yes. That they will pick certain accents to sell insurance or mm -hmm. certain accents to sell a car. And yet you think of those as positives. There's always a negative on the other side of it, isn't it? But yeah. people may argue, Heather, I think you're reading too much into this. It's only an accent after all. Come on. But, you know, when you talk, you know, I know you've got an American accent, but I don't have all the kind of imagery running through my head because I'm a smart guy, I'm intelligent, et cetera, et cetera, aware. What's the reality? The reality is it doesn't matter how smart we are or aware we think we are, those patterns are running in the background. And I know that when I first heard about these things as well, and because I work in this field, my reaction was, of course, I don't do that. I'm not mm. biased. I love every accent. But if I dig a little deeper and think about if I'm calling a call center, what my reaction is, and mm. every single one of us, anybody listening to us right now, think about the last time you called a call center and what was your reaction to the person's accent on the phone? What did you say about that person when you hung up? What was the reason that conversation didn't work? Um, I think that's a really clear hmm. example of some of the biases that we hold, because when we're put face-to-face -face in that situation, we get frustrated uh, because of the misunderstanding, because it's harder, because we have to be more patient. And of course, when you called that call center, you were probably upset anyway to start with, so that didn't help. So if you put yourself in a stressful situation and deal with someone who is different from you, hmm. um, some of these biases might come forward. And then once you realize it's there, you can start approaching conversations differently, being more aware of, I really know that I have this bias. I need to pay better attention. I need to give them time. I can't make any judgments. It's very, very difficult to do. Very difficult to do. And a lot of times we don't want to be honest with ourselves because we want to believe we're good people and we are good mm. people. We aren't, we aren't trying to discriminate. We, it's not... It, we don't want to do that, but we also can't say, oh, well, it's it's my inherent bias, so there's nothing I can do about it. No, we can still do things about it. We can still become more aware, and we can moderate our actions and try to control how we interact. Um, but this is a huge job. I mean, this isn't mm. going to happen overnight, and we still see this happening throughout business, politics, law. We, we see it happening everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned, for example courtrooms and mm -hmm. i read a book by malcolm gladwell uh, not too not too long ago talking with strangers yes which oh, one of my favorites yeah. right okay he referenced the judges making those parole decisions yeah and i if, it was interesting they ran an experiment and i know you you talk a lot about ai bias and speech mm -hmm. matics for example we'll bring right. those guys up in a minute um about how judges who you would assume 
would be fair and impartial, which is their, their sort of position, isn't it? And intelligent, of course, um, making parole decisions. And they would always look at the person and listen to them. And, you know, they would say they wouldn't be able to do this remotely, or they wouldn't be able to do this just through some written deposition. And yet they've done this as well with blind tests, where they then ran the test with them out being able to see or hear the um, you know, whoever is standing for parole. And they found the, the differences to be quite marked. And you yes. wonder how that affects politics, how that affects business. You know, we're making decisions that we feel we're beyond that level of bias. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure I'm doing it. I'm sure you're doing it as well. And we catch ourselves doing it. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you know, the point is, is that, you know, we need to be aware of this and it's affecting everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine a lot of my clients who come to me, they are brilliant and yet their leaders or their HR or whoever has done their yearly review is saying, we think your communication is holding you back and, oh, you're difficult to understand. Or they'll sometimes hide the bias in, you need better communication skills when really what they're saying is, you need to sound more Western. Mm. You need to sound clearer uh, meaning I think you need to work on your accent. And that's always been one of my big arguments that it's not about accent, it's about clarity. Yet at the same time, I'm walking this line of hypocrisy because I know for a fact it is about accent because that's what's holding people back. And so I'm constantly fighting this feeling of, um, I don't want you to have to change the way you're speaking, but in order for you to succeed in the environment you are in, we have to make some changes so based on these situations and contexts that you're in, these are the things you need to be aware of in order to help you to succeed, because we can't control how they're responding to you because they aren't aware. And so I'm constantly trying to then, you know, speak up and I'm happy to be here and have this opportunity to talk about this because it's part of the other half of that equation of showing all of us that, yeah, we have this bias, we need to be aware of it, and we need to stop discriminating or thinking that it's a communication problem, when sometimes it's us turning off because they're hard to understand, or they're different, or um, we just don't want to make that effort to meet them halfway or listen hmm. better. So it, it's a really difficult situation. It's, hmm. it's very difficult. But ingrained in us. I'm wondering ingrained. about your friend that went to New York and worked in finance. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't she have just changed her accent? People do. Of course, I mean, when I go right? To America, Tons I of people have to do. Change how I speak. Tons of people do. They change how they speak. And and sometimes I understand why they do that because it goes back to that dinner table. It goes back to wanting to belong. You don't hmm. want to constantly have pointed out to you that you're different, that you don't belong. And for her, she eventually left the, the finance industry. She moved to the UK where they all think her accent is wonderful and um, is a is a quite successful professional speaker in, in the circuit mm. there. So in sharing her stories, of course, but it's it's very interesting how you can be embraced in some places mm. and rejected in others, right? And I mean accent. you brought up you brought up the idea of the British accent in the US. We have real oh, ups yeah. and downs with that. You know, and studies have shown over time how that's changed. The the British accent used to be all the bad guys. Now it's the sexy doctors, you mm -hmm. know? I mean it's it's had this complete change and, and shift with with culture. And I think we're seeing that because we're becoming so globalized. We're mm. having more contact, especially since the pandemic hit. You know, many of the teams I work with now suddenly have a lot more contact with their colleagues throughout the region, maybe in Europe, who they didn't normally speak to before, because now everything's online and we bring everyone into the meeting and we didn't do that before. And now we're seeing a lot more issues there around that cross-cultural element of, wait a second, I've never heard that accent. I can't understand you. And why do you do your work like that? And why do you guys do this? And we do this in Singapore and you're not following our standards. And suddenly we've realized that we're all different yet at the same time especially in the pandemic we realized how alike we are and hmm. um, so so there's a lot of learning happening right now as we are you know embracing the world again and and getting to work and be more global with with others yeah especially we're seeing a lot of companies now adopt remote first yes. as the default position and it's not unusual now to work around the world with different teams. Whereas before we're all in one office, maybe people, the, the furthest they came from was the next state. 
but yeah. we would have been kind of all familiar with the accents and so on. And this is the challenge. So I guess this is the energy that has driven the need for more conversation about this unmuted. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that, how to show up, speak up and inspire action. I love this idea of unmuted as well, especially when, you know, that seems to be such a key part of our conversations now, like here, you're on mute. Mm-hmm. Click unmute. What, what is the idea? Why did you pick that as a title as well, unmuted? Well, as we went into the pandemic and all moved online so quickly, uh, that quickly became the most popular phrase any of us ever heard. You're on mute. Every single call we got on, you're on mute. You're on mute. Everyone was always on mute. And during that time, I remember thinking that, you know what, there are a lot of people out there who are on mute. And as we moved online, it became much easier for people to mute themselves, to literally press mute, turn off the camera and disappear from conversations. And I started thinking a lot about how were we doing that in real life, even long before the pandemic. Many of us have been muted in our careers, muted in our lives, our families, our relationships. And that was why I felt like, no, now is the time we do need to unmute. You know, our world is changing so rapidly. It's going who knows which direction. We've we've seen so many challenges with the environment and politics and with peace and turmoil and protests. And it seems like there are so many problems that we're facing and what got us here isn't going to get us there. Mm. You know, we need, we need something new. We, we need to have new voices more than ever. We need to unmute and be a part of the conversation and speak up at work and share our ideas. And at the same time, we need to be encouraging others to do the same. That's the real key Mm. is listening to what others have to say if we have been the type to dominate for some time, uh, then it's time to start hearing those voices that we haven't been paying attention to consciously or unconsciously. Hmm. People want to obviously be heard, but the Hmm. problem surely is fear. People are scared of unmuting. Hmm. There may be cultural aspects to it. Obviously I feel it's a lot easier for Americans to speak than some cultures because you're encouraged from a very early age to speak up, mm-hmm. um, you know, you do, what did Johnny do at recess type show and tells? Obviously here in Asia, it's a lot harder, isn't it? For people yeah. to speak out in public. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what What's the steps that we need to take here? I feel that, you know, simply telling people they need to speak up is not enough. No. It has to come from many different angles. You know, if I'm yeah. a leader within a company and I'm part of a, a team, mm-hmm. we get together in the team and I maybe have my boss that I have to report to, you know, maybe it might be considered in my culture to be a bit rude yeah, to talk absolutely. over the boss or to challenge them even. There's a lot of work here. Where do we start? Where are the easy wins here in helping people speak up? Yeah, well, typically the way this has been handled is I get a call from HR and they ask me to throw a bunch of training programs at their people. You know, we need them to speak up. We need them to be confident. We need mm. them to uh, be better presenters and uh, let's just train them, train them, train them, train them. And we can throw as much training at them as we want. There are other pieces to this puzzle that we are forgetting. And that was that's really the foundation of Unmuted is this idea that we need to look at those other pieces of the puzzle. First of all, we need to have that self-awareness that we've been talking about this whole time of cross-cultural awareness, understanding of ourselves so we can better understand others. And I call this conscious communication, our listening skills, just being conscious about reading the room, understanding the energy of the people we're with and the conversation. Then we also need to have connection. And this has to do with the environment that we're in, the relationships that we build, uh, psychological safety. Amy Edmondson's work in that field is amazing. Mm. And I think more and more companies are embracing that. But I agree with you that there are some challenges here about implementing this in an Asian context, because we do have the cultural um, side of that where we respect our elders, we don't speak out to our boss, we don't go against what they say, there's a hierarchy and a rank. But I do see that changing in Asia as Mm -hmm. well. And then the last piece is that confidence piece, which 
is the thing we normally focus on. Just give them the right skills and they'll do it. But there's so much more to that as well, self-worth and looking inwards. Um, so we need to start looking at all of these parts. And I, I really think it's going to start with building the relationships in the company and hearing these new voices and encouraging, creating spaces where we can hear people speak and have unmuted moments um, to join conversations and share what they're really thinking about the workplace as well as their ideas for the company. I think we're missing out a lot on innovation and, hmm. and inclusion in general because we aren't hearing all of those voices. So, so yeah, the, the typical, let's train them to do better. It's a skills huh. gap. I, I think, you know, as a frustrated <laughs> trainer and learning and development practitioner, watching my clients go through training program after training program and not really change their behavior, it's because we're missing all these other pieces of the puzzle. And so un with Unmuted, I'm trying to bring all of that together to show how bits from organizational psychology, from cross-cultural communication, from linguistics, from confidence um, and neuropsychology, how these things fit together so that we can make some real changes in organizations. How do we create those unmuted moments, that, those mm -hmm. moments of magic, I suppose, that you talk about? If I'm, for example, sitting around a table, or it could be a virtual table here on Zoom with my team, mm -hmm. let's say I'm the team leader, for mm -hmm. argument's sake, and yeah. I'm asking for opinions. Okay, we have a problem, we need a solution. I don't have an answer. There's four or five of you here. That's a very typical situation, isn't it? Or, you know, people reporting data, what's wrong, something broken. Mm -hmm. How do I facilitate that process? Because simply saying, what are your ideas? I don't feel is enough. We've, we've been doing that for years and, mm -hmm. you know, people happen well, already, to have all the ideas. Yeah. Already acknowledging the fact that you don't have the answer as a leader mm. is step number one. So you might be a step ahead of a lot of leaders who are still bringing forward that very powerful persona of, I can't let my team know that I don't have the answers. That takes mm. a step of vulnerability to be open about the fact that I would like your feedback and I would like to know. Um, one interesting way to get more fair feedback, we do know that in, and there's been research done on this, that teams who have equal talk time in the room are going to be more successful, effective, productive, innovative. And that literally means five minutes for you, five minutes for you, five minutes for you around the table. So then when people try to implement that, they might do that and say, okay, five minutes around, let's go around. I want to hear everyone's ideas. And it's about holding that space and giving them the time, even if they, well, I don't really know. Well, we'll wait. It's okay. You know, think about what you want to, what you want to say. Now there's a problem with this because we also have other kinds of bias where if we hear someone who's very articulate, powerful, mm. they share good ideas, our opinion gets swayed. So number one might say something, and then number two says, oh, well, yeah, I, I agree. You know, suddenly everybody agrees with the first person's statement. So one technique that we can start implementing and that I recommend teams try is have an agenda for that meeting. Tell people to write down their thoughts about whatever questions that you have that are coming up. When they come to the meeting, we want to know what's on that paper, not how their opinion has been swayed by hearing the other people in the room. What was their original thought that was on mm. that paper before they were swayed? Then once all those ideas are on the table, then we can kind of start talking about, oh, all right, now what about this and what about that? When we don't come prepared to our meetings, number one, we're wasting a lot of time. But number two, we aren't necessarily hearing all those ideas that you're trying to get from your people. And it's about a real cultural change here in in the practices that we use, the way that we apply it, and the way we start talking to each other. Because even if you tell them, come and write your ideas down, if you as a boss and leader haven't set um, an open environment and a culture where they feel safe to do that, if they feel like there's going to be repercussions or you're going to react mm. negatively, it could still be very difficult. So I think it does start a lot with that leader and setting the stage and creating a culture of openness. Um, but also realizing that Team members don't necessarily need to hear from you being unmuted. They're actually more inspired hearing from each other. And giving them that space to do that can be really powerful. Hmm. Mm -hmm. It's changing the nature of what leadership is, isn't it? it from really what we've is. learned it to be, mm -hmm. you know, what we've learned at business school. 
what we've learned from the books, isn't it? That sort of power figure, yeah. the alpha monkey in the pack, if you like, that's changing. Yes. I love the ideas as well about, you know, getting people to write their ideas down before, because that sort of exposed levels the playing field a little bit for those who are stronger communicators tend to sway opinions. I heard Amazon does something similar or did something similar to that, where they would get people to write yes. 10, 12 pages of notes yes. before they came yeah. to a meeting. Amazon about- has a narrative, a narrative process, and they do still do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they write, it's usually around six to eight pages. And that is how they do all of their proposals and all of their presentations. So when I'm working with some, some of my clients at Amazon, we're usually working in those narratives about, mm. and it's more based on the writing because that narrative is circulated. Um, and, and it's a very specific cultural practice of that company. And I'm a little bit surprised other companies haven't picked up on that, at least not ones I have worked with. But it does allow for ideas to be generated in a very different way, which Mm. is quite interesting. Yeah. Well, it gives those who may be a little bit more introverted or a little bit shy or maybe more likely to give other people the platform in a meeting Mm. a voice. And those are the ones who equally may have ideas. And sometimes they're the ones who may be more thoughtful and therefore are getting overlooked. It's fascinating, isn't it, that we feel, I mean, obviously we know like teams and how we communicate. We feel we're very functional and we communicate very well in teams. And unfortunately, that the more functional it feels, probably the more dysfunctional it really is because, you know, maybe you're feel very comfortable if you have a lot of people that sound and look like you. We all know about bias and how that works. And then it feels like, oh yeah, we're a team. We're all boys, Mm. you know, from Mm -hmm. the same school together. And therefore Mm. we're a great team and we don't challenge each other. And yet maybe somebody comes in with a different sound or accent and that makes it feel dysfunctional, but yet that may be more productive. Mm. Now let's sort of take this to the next level artificial intelligence, Mm. touching all parts of our life now, particularly with voice. You think about voice, everything from, you know, voice recognition, we use to access tools or services to, you know, speech software, you know, the voice on your sat nav, everything, Siri. Mm -hmm. You know, I know, for example, sometimes when I use Siri, I have to adjust my voice to sound more. Do you really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's scary. I remember when I got my first iPhone here in Singapore and Singaporeans could not talk to Siri. And I remember that there being news articles about this because they felt out left out of the technology. It was literally a barrier and a limit for people to experience the technology. Mm. And, you know, as we're looking at web three and including um, artificial intelligence, we have this amazing opportunity to develop a world the way it should be. You know, we we know the mistakes we've made. We can design this to be more inclusive by feeding the technology different accents, for example. Right now, already, the great majority of, of AI and speech technology is very American biased, mm-hmm. uh, incredibly American biased. I've had a very difficult time. I've been approached by different pronunciation apps because I help people with articulation and they've wanted me to endorse them or they've wanted me to partner with them in some way. And I've always said my biggest problem with it is that it's all based on American accented English. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't want my clients sounding American. That's not our goal. And yet they use an app like that and they are being there's, they're basically told, oh, you sound 32% American. I even got a score of 92. I, I wasn't even American. <laughs> so, Not American enough. You know, I wasn't American enough. Um, and I'm from California, close to the Silicon Valley. You know, I hmm. how can I sound more? Yeah, anyway, so that... Um, we're already seeing that. And there are, so you, you mentioned Speechmatics earlier. Mm. They're, they're probably the one company I've seen who's been doing a lot of work in the space to make AI technology when it comes to voice and accent much more inclusive. And it's not just accent. They're also doing research that's showing that women are discriminated mm. against by this voice technology, that they will not be understood as easily as a man, or that minorities will not be as understood as the, the majority. And this plays into everything. Think about creators who want to do YouTube videos. How much extra time do they have to spend editing and changing their transcripts? Because the speech technology, the AI, 
doesn't understand them. Whereas I can upload mine and it's about 98% effective. Hmm. What about my Singaporean colleague? They're already a step behind. So th- there are a lot of ways this plays out, uh, hmm. some much more serious than others, but it definitely, we, we have to be aware of this. We have to fix it. We, and that's why I'm a big fan of what Speechmatics is doing to try to make this technology more inclusive. And I'm hmm. sure there are other companies on the map as well. That's just the one that has stood out to me. Well, they seem to be feeding a lot of diverse accents into yeah. the, the training sets, if you like. Yeah. And I guess they're all aware of it now, mm-hmm. AI-driven companies. Well, every company is to some extent now AI-driven, mm-hmm. but they don't really realize to what extent it affects everything. And a great example, like you mentioned, Singapore and Singlish for those listeners who aren't aware, mm-hmm. it is a strong accent and it takes getting used to even living here. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, because you have many, many different cultures that have shaped Singlish. Obviously, Chinese is a big influence on the language here. And you can imagine then that that you, I can't imagine what it's like to speak a strong Singlish accent and use Siri. Yeah, it'd be very difficult. Then you're sort of excluded, aren't you? I mean, you know, you can think you not only are you excluded from Siri, you're excluded from boardroom conversations because you sound very local and you don't sound like you know mm-hmm. the Oxford or mm-hmm. Harvard educated CEO. Mm-hmm. So and this is why a lot of people are sent to me, right? They're sent to me under this order of, you know, fix them, <laughs> fix them. You fix know, they, them. they sound to, they sound to this or they sound to that. And a lot of this is colonial sentiment that's mm. left over as well. When we talk about Singapore in particular, but also in India and the types of English that are considered mm. to be acceptable, higher status, more educated. Um, and from an even more global perspective, most Singaporeans will identify themselves as native speakers of English. They have grown up with English. It is their strongest language. They had it in school. They use it in government. They have it in business. It is our main language here. Uh, and yet the rest of the world doesn't quite understand that. You know, there are um, ads all over Asia even that say uh, we're looking for English teachers, native speakers only. And mm. the list is US, UK, Canada. Uh, Australia, right? Singapore is is as native as any of us. And I mean, we could go on to argue that actually asking for a native speaker is ridiculous as well, because many non-natives are better teachers. So um, that's a completely different conversation. But yeah, there. The, these are all just. There's so much that goes into this, Graham. You know, we could mm. talk all day about it, about Absolutely. how how it works. Um, but being excluded from technology and advancements, we're already leaving massive amounts of our global population behind mm. uh, when we aren't designing the technology correctly. But I think you're right that every company is now becoming more aware of this and they want their technology to be as inclusive as possible. Mm. So, so that is changing now. I think people are taking it more seriously. Well, they realize what they have to do as well. Mm-hmm. And they realize how it's affecting people. There's a lot of research got into this. And obviously you touch upon it in your book as well. A lot of companies that are working to address the balance. And obviously there are people who are making change as well, importantly, who realize the importance of this, that it's not just a communications training problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a deficit, as you call it. Mm-hmm. It's more of a fundamental connection problem that we have within business, which is, you know, much more of a human level yeah. as well. And it, it really is something, you know, we make these decisions about people very subconsciously and very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And this sort of brings us back around full circle. And I want to sort of talk a little bit about your journey as well, because I think if we can talk about your journey, it's a nice sort of ending point to people to think about their journey, Mm -hmm. because, you know, how you've transformed as well Mm -hmm. in your journey from teacher trainer to now, you know, you are an educator at a global level in a way, helping people understand the value of communication and how to do it Mm -hmm. effectively. You know, there are, a lot of conversations out there in different areas from people who are in education, people who are in HR, L&D, internal comms, leadership, who this is relevant to as well. And maybe they're looking at you and your journey and thinking, okay, what do I need to upskill it? What I, how do I need to think about these things differently? So I want to ask a very basic question. You've kind of alluded to it. You're from California. Yes. Yeah. And you got here to Singapore. Right. When I ask you this question, where are you from? How do you answer that? 
<laughs> I know, right? Isn't that always the hardest question for all of us who have become kind of the global nomads, right? Hmm. Um, I usually do say I'm from California. That's where I was born and raised, but I left 20 years ago. I've had half of my life abroad now. And uh, I originally moved to Denmark to be with the then boyfriend, now husband. So that was a good choice. That could have ended very badly. I got lucky. Uh, and then it was his work that brought us here. I started my company here. And yeah, we've had a solid 12 years in Singapore, going mm. back and forth a bit between Denmark and Singapore. Um, That's a great answer, by the way. And I think it just goes to show how complicated that yeah, answer You almost is. have to tell the whole story because yeah. all of those all of those places and experiences, and of course, you know, I've worked in... in a number of different countries, 14 countries on four continents. You know, I've seen mm. a lot of cultures. I've interacted with a lot of different people and all of those experiences are a part of that. Where are you from? Right. And I think it's even worse if you ask my kids because yeah. they were born in Singapore. <laughs> so when people ask them, the old Chinese auntie down the street asked my little daughter when she was two with her white curls and her big blue eyes, all Scandinavian looking. And the auntie says, so where are you from? Where are you from? And she says, Singapore. And she yeah. looks at me like my child is lying to her. And I said, well, she is, you know, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking where are her parents from? Uh, exactly. And, yeah. That, that's our default though, isn't it? I remember yeah. an example. I was doing a webinar not too long ago. We were talking about, um, it was talking about transformation in Singapore. It was a government webinar. And I spoke and I said, um, you know, we here in Singapore, I said something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And then somebody took me aside and said, you know, what do you mean we here in Singapore? You're not Singaporean. I, no, I'm not Singaporean, but I, but I consider here? myself to be from here. Yeah. Even, you know, what, what's the rules here? Yeah. And I think that's the key part of the belonging and the connection, isn't it? That we, mm -hmm. it's easy just to answer like the auntie's question and just give them one word. I'm from America. I'm from Denmark and end of conversation. But we need these listening skills. It's almost like empathy that mm -hmm. doesn't exist in, you know, transactional communication in business. Mm -hmm. I've got to listen to you and hear the whole story here now. And this is challenging us to think in a different way. Maybe some people feel uncomfortable, Heather, yeah. about this, that, oh, okay, why didn't you just tell me you're from America? I don't need the whole life story, right. you know? But yeah. then I don't understand you a bit better, you know, right. and I can't, you know, if we're going to work together, if we're going to innovate, solve problems, there needs to be that trust and communication there isn't it? Mm -hmm. So I want to sort of put it out there for your fans, the listeners, the community that you're building around unmuted teachers, communication leaders, CEOs, L&D, HR, and how we can help them create those unmuted moments. Where are the opportunities to start there? How do they listen with empathy? Mm -hmm. And also when do, should they press mute? Mm -hmm. Not all about mm -hmm. being unmuted, isn't it? There's a time yeah, to listen. Right. That's right. What should I do? Let's start. Maybe we can put the calls out. Let's start with the, the easier ones, the teachers, because you spent a lot of years mm -hmm. working with them. Mm -hmm. What do I need to take away from Unmuted? What are the key lessons for me? Yeah, for teachers in particular, I think it's about questioning assumptions, right? I think the biggest part of my journey has been kind of challenging everything I learned through my experience, realizing my experience was different than what I had been taught and changing my perspective on the world. So the idea that we need to have more connection than perfection, that we don't have to be grammatically correct every time to be successful in business. I have clients who are CEOs, who are non-native speakers, who have what English teachers would call broken English, where I say, it sure doesn't sound broken. They're running a multi-million dollar organization, billion dollars organization. Uh, I think they're doing just fine, right? Um, so as teachers, we need to start reassessing what's important in communication and uh, teaching and supporting people to be successful mm. and not necessarily perfect, but to make those connections. I think, you know, all the things that you're mentioning and, and saying, you know, how do we listen with empathy? How do we do these things? These are just normal human skills that all of us good people have learned. We're, we're, we're generally speaking, we are good people and we want to listen and we want to connect. And somehow through the last you know, few years of this pandemic we've been dealing with, it's like we've forgotten all of it and we go wow. to work and it's like, wait, I have to be a human? What do, how do I be a human? What does that mean? Well, yeah, what does it mean? And I think that fear and it's wow. coming from 
Yeah, but that wasn't what I was taught in business school, as you said, right? I was taught that I have to be a certain way and I need to show up and have power and have my have everything together. And being human, well, the way we've been humans the last few years, it's been a mess, right? And hmm. that's real life. And I think we're seeing a shift now where we're bringing a little bit of that mess with us and we're showing people a little bit more and we're opening up to that. Um and that's a massive change. But really, all that we're asking, what, what most people, this whole great resignation, all that people really want is that connection. They want that belonging. They want to feel human again. And I think that's what everybody is after. And that just comes down to following our instincts about connecting with others, really listening, opening our minds, not being judgmental, uh, creating safe spaces where it's okay to talk about issues other than just work. That when somebody, uh, I just saw a note online, somebody, this was in Denmark, he, he was on his way to work and you know, they all bike to work. Uh-huh. This is so typical. And he got a flat tire on his bike. Something happened. And he writes, texts his boss and says, uh, sorry, I got a flat tire. I, I need to figure out how I'm going to get there. I'm going to be late for our meeting at nine. Her reaction was, oh, should I come pick you up? And, you, you know, and that seemed to be something that was unheard of before mm. that your boss would offer. Oh, gosh, I'm so wow. sorry. Can I come get you? And he said it wasn't that he was trying to say bosses need to go pick up their workers, but it was the fact that the boss's reaction was, how can I help? You know, mm. what can I do instead of, yeah, OK, just hurry up, get here as soon as you can. We need you. Uh, but it was a more human response. Uh, and I think that's all we're looking for. And it comes so naturally to us. Why do we have this barrier that we can't take that past the, the door or the lobby of the office? Um, so I think that's our biggest challenge right mm. now. And and that's what I was trying to bring up in Unmuted, to be more conscious, to start um Stopping those judgments, be more open-minded, be aware of your biases, develop your self-confidence to share your ideas and messages with the world. That's a really big part of it. And and then try to start creating these safe spaces uh, and measure these things. We have big data. We can do qualitative analysis with big data to see who are the people who are best connected in our organizations. Those are our influencers. And I guarantee they aren't the leaders. It's, you know, Marion accounts who remembers everyone's birthday and knows about, you know, her colleague's son's graduation. And it's those people. So if you wanted to have a change initiative, we need to be talking to those people and have their buy-in, and then they will influence the rest of the organization. So we need to start thinking about leadership in a very different way, a more human way, um, and, and find those connections and build them. It's more of relationships first now before the numbers and the sales and the business, because that all will come, that will come naturally Mm. when we build those connections and relationships underneath. Yeah. The flat tire story is fantastic. That really (laughs) sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah. Leadership is required on both sides, really, you know, how you should talk to your people and how you should also lead, Mm -hmm. you know, how can I help? Can I come and pick you up? Yeah. That's a wonderful change, isn't it? And if only every company was like that, but then, you know, it's reality, isn't it? That there's a lot of work to do. So obviously, apart from getting your book, I'm wondering how those in the corporate world can, you know, work with you, benefit from this as well. Obviously, one of the things you do, I mean, you do a great TEDx talk, which I recommend to everybody, and we put the details in the show notes, you know, bringing you in to speak to the team, you know, what sort of angle would that work? You know, who will within the company would this be relevant to? What sort of... You know, because I guess, you know, people may say this is, obviously, you don't want to come in and fix people. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. like they say, come in and fix I, this guy. He's so, yeah, so singlish. I think it's more about uncovering people. It's about unmuting people, finding the talents that are already there and amplifying them, right? That's really what being unmuted is about. So the work with companies now has really shifted from only being a training focus to be much more of a consulting focus, Mm. where we're going in to look at the the company or the team or the division um, and do that analysis, find who those influencers are, uh, run the kinds of uh, assessments on psychological safety. Let's see how people are really feeling about the environment that they're in and then taking actions to, to unmute 
that environment, whether that is training. Sometimes there are skills gaps that we need to fill and we can do that. Sometimes it's one-on-one coaching with certain individuals around different skills uh, and helping them to develop the self-confidence that's necessary. Um, and sometimes it's about creating campaigns with the, within the organization, having unmuted mic nights and sharing mm. stories, um, finding different ways to build the relationships and the connections that we haven't been doing before. And, and so that's th- those are just some of the ways. And of course, there are all of the typical ones as well to come in and do a keynote and a lunch and learn and, and all of those kinds of things uh, and follow up with facilitation. And now that the book is here as well, um, we can have book clubs within the, the company and we follow quarterly to go through different parts of the material and facilitate those conversations. So there are a lot of ways to do that, uh, either with my help or that HR can implement uh, with their teams. Yeah. Now, this is just the beginning, creating some change, some very positive change as well. Heather Hansen, everybody, it's been great speaking to you and such Thank positivity. You so much, Graham. I'm going to yeah. ask you um, to just help us find you on the internet, where to go, but a bit of fun in finishing. And I've completely ambushed you this. I want to ask you firstly in English and then in Danish. Because ah! <laughs> I want to see, I want to hear you speak Danish. So. Okay. <laughs> Just to verify the fact, I'm sure for all your Danish speaking fans yeah. out there, they will be impressed by. So firstly, in English, where do we find out more about Heather Hansen? More about Heather Hansen. Well, my company website is globalspeechacademy.com. You're also welcome to go to ted.com, search my name and my TEDx will come up or heatherhansen.com slash unmuted will get you to the book. Uh, and you can learn a lot about me there too. And I'm always really happy to connect with people on LinkedIn as well. And in Danish? And in Danish. Oh, you're going to put me on the spot. See how the yeah, anxiety like rises when it. I have to do this in another language? Yeah. Feet knock, Graham. Feet knock. Yeah, this man will come in contact with me. So, again, in Pomin Yemesil, globalspeechacademy.com, eller.com, serious, eller heatherhansen.com, eller kan I go in på ted.com og se min TEDx talk, som de også kan finde der. De skal bare søge under mit navn. Og det er det. Så jeg håber også, at alle mine venner i Danmark vil uh, være med, og måske vil vi også have en oversættelse til danske unmuted middle-end tidspunkt. That is amazing. I'm really impressed. <laughs> I don't want you said a little bit more in Danish, secret. Yeah, I know, I, it was, but you can tell I, with the accent as well. It's, it's yeah, you can absolutely accent. hear I'm American. I mean, that's no, not no, ever going mean, like, to go away. To me, it sounds Danish, <laughs> so it works. That was a lot of fun and I think inspiring conversation as well, Heather. I feel that, you know, you're in a very interesting area and approaching a problem that we're all facing in a refreshing way as well. So thank you for coming on to the show today and sharing your journey with us and also a bit about your work and all the details are there in the show notes for those that want to find out more about you. Thanks so much, Graham. It's been a pleasure. Really nice talking to you. You've been listening to the Excel podcast with me, Graham Brown. To subscribe and discover more conversations, go to www.xlpodcast.org.